First, a word from our sponsors. Ahead of the holiday season, as we brace ourselves for a chilly, virus-laden winter, staying physically safe from the novel coronavirus remains a top priority. By combing through a massive data set, researchers have pinpointed the most common superspreader sites to avoid. But while steering clear of certain locations could be life-saving, you don't have to take an all-or-nothing approach to health. New research says some of the most powerful strategies for longevity are free and easy and have nothing to do with giving up bread or suffering through a hit class. Soft health drivers like social networks, kindness, and volunteerism can make everyday living better and add years to your life. Ultimately, staying away from high-risk hotspots and connecting with loved ones could be the best path toward a stronger, healthier new year. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about the massive data set that reveals the four risky super spreader sites to skip this winter. Experts suggest avoiding these areas can limit catastrophic transmission and keep cities from locking down. Our second story looks at the soft health drivers proven to keep you mentally and physically strong without costing you a dime. Whereas diet and exercise are important, the soft drivers of health, how you live your life mentally and socially, can be key drivers of wellness and longevity. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, the massive data set that zeroes in on the four main super spreader sites to avoid this winter. Growing concern over potential super spreading events. You've likely heard the term super spreaders. These hot spots where a whole bunch of people get infected at once. Which may be fueling a dramatic spike in coronavirus cases. From a business conference. Celebration. A motorcycle rally. The super spreader event. Now we're also learning how super spreaders can spread it quickly and without warning. Super spreader. It's a term now associated with the coronavirus. It can infect large groups of people without knowing it. But defining what a super spreader actually entails in the context context of the coronavirus pandemic is complicated. One super spreader study has just made things less complicated and managed to pinpoint the highest risk COVID-19 locations. To show how key mobility shifts influence disease transmission, researchers have just released a far-reaching dynamic model. From bodegas to wine bars to shopping malls, data published November 2020 in the journal Nature maps how 98 million Americans in 10 of the nation's largest metro areas moved through half a million different establishments. The data then pinpoints four super spreader sites that pose the highest risk of infection. The study suggests avoiding these establishments, if they are operating at full capacity, could be life-saving as people navigate a cold, virus-laden winter. Based on this analysis, the team also laid out five targeted policy interventions that could make a meaningful difference in reigning in COVID-19 spread. These precautions can limit further catastrophic transmission and keep cities from locking down. Inverse's Ali Patillo has more and is joining us right now with all the details. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. So for the longest time, the focus has been on these singular super spreader events, you know, these large groups of people. But this research confirms that most COVID-19 transmissions actually happen in common everyday places. So 
first off, what constitutes a super spreader site and what are the most common ones? Yeah, so currently super spreader sites don't have a strict scientific definition, but they're places where the risk of COVID-19 transmission is dangerously high. And that could be because of crowds or indoor settings, lack of air circulation or confined spaces. And in this new study, they mapped how 98 million Americans moved through half a million different establishments. They found that most COVID-19 transmissions occur at four sites. These are full-service restaurants, gyms, hotels, and cafes. For example, in Chicago, only 10% of locations accounted for 85% of the predicted infections. And in the study, restaurants are by far the riskiest, which could be kind of bad news for some people who've been enjoying, you know, restaurants being reopened. But restaurants are about four times riskier than the next categories, which were gyms and coffee shops, followed by hotels. In this study, they found that fully reopening restaurants after a month would lead to about 6% of the entire population being infected. So this is offering some really sobering guidance um, that possibly avoiding these establishments, especially if they're operating at full capacity, could really be life-saving as people navigate what is a really virus-laden winter. And we'll talk a bit more about how we figure out how to do that, but this study in itself, it basically tracked people and their locations via their data. So can you talk a bit more about how these mobility patterns can influence the coronavirus spread? Yeah, so the researchers utilized a huge, massive set of cell phone data from a company called SafeGraph, which aggregates anonymous location data from people's cell phones. And this gave them information about where people go in the course of a day, how long they linger at each location, how many other people were visiting the same place. Then the scientists built this computer model that accounts for people's demographic background, their neighborhood, how crowded each establishment typically is on a daily basis. And they ran their simulation with a huge, basically countless number of parameters and predicted what the infection rate would be. Then they cross-referenced those predictions with confirmed coronavirus case counts, which were gathered by the New York Times from these 10 different metro areas. And using this extremely fine-grained model, the researchers say they can predict the likelihood of new infections occurring at any given place or time down to the hour. Did this data show us anything else about where it's happening more broadly, you know, where it's happening geographically? So just like the various locations or establishments aren't hit equally across the board, minority communities and low-income groups also suffer disproportionate risks of transmission. And we've seen this played out throughout the pandemic. A lot of research links these disparities to unequal access to healthcare and varying rates of pre-existing conditions. But this model suggests mobility is a stronger driving factor behind these disparities than previously thought. So in the model, people who were living in lower income and less white neighborhoods were not able to reduce their mobility as much as higher income neighborhoods. And that's likely because they were operating as essential workers and did not have the luxury of working from home. So these groups were in turn substantially likelier to be infected by the end of the simulation. Going back to the Chicago example, researchers predicted that a full reopening would result in an additional 39% of low-income neighborhood populations being infected within a month compared to 32% of the overall population. So we're seeing this huge mismatch that's extremely unfair and really, you know, 
making people bear the brunt of coronavirus risks when some of the behavior choices are out of their control. One uh, figure that really stood out to me, about 10% of the locations examined accounted for over 80% of all infections. So the best way to protect yourself from infection is to avoid these locations. However, we have many months ahead of us. That's easier said than done. How is it suggested that we walk that line, you know, between sustaining an economy and minimizing infections? Is there a visible path we can take? So you pointed out a pretty key stat from the study, and it does paint a really sobering picture of what might happen if people just abandon social distancing and resume normal life. But at the same time, the research also offers some really good news to individuals and policymakers, basically saying it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Instead of shutting down the economy completely, you can limit capacity at these super spreader sites, and that can have an outsized positive effect on coronavirus spread. Um, basically, the idea is that our solutions need to be more targeted and localized to be effective, and blanket solutions aren't going to get us out of the pandemic. The researchers also suggested some alternative strategies that can help cities avoid lockdown. And those are offering people kind of these emergency food distribution centers that can reduce foot traffic in these high risk stores or establishments. Um, you know, so people might not have to visit their crowded grocery store. They could go to this pickup point to get their essential items. The scientists also suggest there be free and widely available testing in neighborhoods predicted to be high risk. And especially given known disparities in access to tests that already exist. There should be improved paid leave policy and income supports so that these essential workers can stay home if they're sick um, and not be, you know, at risk for economic devastation, which they currently are. There should also be improved workplace infection prevention for these essential workers, um, high quality PPE, good ventilation, and continued social distancing. But all in all, it, it does point to um, you know some concrete steps we can take that don't require us staying home for the next five months. There is a way we can get out of this. It just requires um, you know some evidence-based, targeted, localized solutions. As usual, Ali is covering the latest research as it unfolds. With with regards to super spreader events and the coronavirus, you can head to inverse.com for more. Thanks a lot, Allie. Thanks, Tanya. Now, a word from our sponsors. In the $4.2 trillion world of wellness, people often chase transformative habits or miracle products to help them live longer, healthier lives. However, one study says that in order to truly grow young, one action matters more than others. Up next, why the most powerful longevity hack has nothing to do with diet and exercise. The truth is it's extremely biological. It's very physiological. So we are social apes. We evolved to be living in our tribe, and this is how our bodies function the best. So there are plenty of different systems within our bodies that are all interconnected and which connect also our emotions and our the way we live socially with physiological processes in our bodies. That was science journalist Marta Zaraska and author of the book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. She spoke to Inverse about soft health drivers. These include things like social networks, relationships, kindness, conscientiousness, optimism, and volunteerism. 
these drivers can reduce mortality. And unlike most wellness fads, they're actually pleasurable and a lot easier than sticking to the latest diet or popping supplements. It turns out social connections with romantic partners, friends, community members, and neighbors can lower the mortality risk by about 45% to 65%. Soft health drivers have positive effects on emotions, which in turn have cascading positive effects on physiology. Here's more from Marta Zaraska. I wasn't putting all my energy where it should be going, whereas I should be putting more effort into just simple things like friendships, spending time with my husband, trying to be kinder and more optimistic, more organized with consciousness. So it really changed the way I see aging and healthy living in general. They make life better and nicer, not just for you, but for people around you as well. So this kind of spreading kindness and friendship, I think it's just has benefits on all the fronts. Here to talk more about how to put the science of soft health drivers into action is Inverse's Ali Patillo. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. So first, can you further expand on how experts define what soft health drivers are? What exactly are these factors ultimately? Yeah. So, I mean, when we talk about the world of wellness, people are often searching for these kinds of transformative habits or miracle products that help them live longer, live healthier. And these are the kind of superfoods or supplements or stem cell infusions even and detox programs that each each cost kind of varying amounts, but make some pretty amazing claims. And soft health drivers are something different. So these are the factors that go a long way in promoting longevity and health, but they don't cost a dime. They relate to how you live your life mentally and socially through your social networks, your relationships, kindness, conscientiousness, optimism, and volunteerism. And these are the factors that are perhaps a little bit less quantifiable and more abstract, but they're actually far more influential than any of these so-called miracle substances. So we see the effect these factors have on our livelihoods, but is there actual evidence? How has this been proven? Absolutely. I mean, the research is quite stunning when you lay it out. So diet and exercise can lower our mortality risk by about 35%, which is hugely significant. But social connections, and this is could be with your friends, your romantic partners, community members or neighbors, they can lower the mortality risk by about 45% up to even 65%, which are just pretty huge. And I think a lot of people don't realize how influential your social life can be. I mean, some research even suggests the effects are strong stronger than um, if you were a smoker who smokes two packs a day, if you were to quit that habit, you know, your social connections could be more influential than doing that. So research, you know, still needs to confirm that number, but the the body of evidence um, is pointing to something really strong. So if we look at the science, biologically and physiologically speaking, how exactly do these health drivers positively affect us? What's going on in our bodies? What's the actual science behind it? So soft health drivers, they have positive effects on our emotions, which in turn have kind of cascading positive effects on our physiology. And it's a bi-directional relationship. So when we feel good, our bodies work better. And when our bodies work better, we feel good. Some of the underlying mechanisms behind these soft health drivers appear to be connected with kind of tamping down stress and inflammation, increasing those feel-good chemicals like oxytocin and serotonin, and supporting brain health. 
So it all, um, it's all making sense. So how then do we put this science into practice? What's the, um, what's the expert advice on helping us make use of these findings? Yeah. So luckily, you know, having good soft health drivers um, doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, a bulletproof marriage or a hundred friends, a huge social network. Um, The first step to assess where you are when it comes to these health drivers is asking yourself, do I have someone to confide in? Am I connected to my community? Do I know my neighbors? Am I kind to others? And Marta Zaraska, who is a science journalist who um, kind of synthesized the bulk of research around this topic in her book, Growing Young, um, she suggested the following steps as well that can help. So thinking about soft health drivers as kind of health habits you have to make time for. So in the same way that you would think about, you know, doing um, 10 daily push-ups or drinking a glass of water when you wake up in the morning, schedule a daily window to practice your soft health drivers. That could be as simple as calling a friend or making breakfast for your partner. And again, I think the key is that you don't have to turn your routine upside down. You know, instead you can take five minutes every day to kind of flex this soft muscle. So that could be something like, okay, you're in traffic and you let someone go ahead of you, or you're simply giving a compliment to a coworker. And the good thing is, um, as you incorporate these soft health drivers into your life, you can let go of some of the kind of fad diets or rigid exercise programs that maybe you thought were having a big impact on your longevity, but in the end might not be as influential. So, you know, you keep things simple. You stay active, you eat lots of plants, and you engage with the people in your life. And the last thing um, that was kind of the most surprising to me was that one key soft driver is conscientiousness, which is, you know, not that sexy, but it's the propensity to pay bills on time, keep a tidy home, stay organized. And, you know, one of the researchers who spoke with Zaraska said if conscientiousness could be made into a pill, it would be the most powerful drug ever invented. So that's, you know, anecdotal um, and that's that person's opinion, but it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, So that's something to think about as well. You know, try and keep your space clean and avoid, you know, letting your to-do list get overwhelmed with mundane tasks. You know, just keep life chugging along and stay organized. And, you know, all of these things bit by bit will help you stay healthy mentally and in turn support your physical health in the long run. As always, listeners can head to inverse.com for the full breakdown. In the meantime, Allie, thanks so much. Thanks, Tanya. Head to inverse.com to read more about the latest science on health and wellness. You can click on the link in the show notes for that story and all others we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Got something to say? Email us at theabstract at inverse.com with any questions, suggestions, story ideas, or anything else on your mind. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.